Well, good morning, everybody. We've only got three verses this morning, and uh, that's about an hour of verse, and so we'll be good. Uh, Jen's going to read the passage for us, and then we'll dive right in. Okay. Hi, I'm Jen Turner. I'm going to read the passage today. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. That's Psalm 134. Amen. Thank you. Awesome. Psalm 134. So we've got this short psalm that we're dealing with this morning that's sort of like this mini masterpiece. I've actually been really excited to talk on this short psalm. Uh, it's the last of the songs of ascents, as we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And when I first looked at this psalm a couple weeks ago as I was starting to prepare for today, I was thinking a lot about the people who are serving the Lord by night that are mentioned in this passage. And it reminded me of the days when I was touring a lot with a bunch of skateboarders, spending a lot of time in a van, traveling around the United States. And there were points in our tours where we would be driving all night long. One of us would be driving, everybody else would be sleeping in between bench seats and everywhere around this van getting sleep while we were working from one event to the other. And when you were driving for literally 20 hours at a time, driving through the night, you had a lot of time to think. Anybody ever been there, done that? Does anybody really like that? I love it. Does anybody hate it? Like, that's like your worst nightmare. I used to love it. Like, the guys would all be asleep. I'd be driving through the night, and I'd have a lot of time to contemplate um, life and the Lord. And, and um, anyway, but I, I would think about how when, when we were driving at night, that there were some guys um, that were in the back of the van sleeping, and those of us who were awake were still doing God's work while everybody else was asleep, right? Because there were no way the events were going to happen unless we could get from point A to point B. And so there was something really sweet about spending time with the Lord through the night that was the unseen work of, of ministry, like driving the guys around so they could get to the next event and skate a demo, preach the gospel, and it was really sweet. And we were literally driving, again, these group of guys around with skateboard equipment to share the gospel at these events. And so from point A to point B, you'd have time to contemplate like the work that God was doing even while being in this van, even at night. And so there, there was always this reminder that even in the night, when, when we were by ourselves in a van driving for hours, it was still really good work. So it, it's good to be doing something that advances the kingdom. And when I say that, like kingdom work is actually going on 24 seven, right? And so as I would think about that, that would give me this little window into eternity, right? That we're 24-7, God is receiving endless praise. Think about that, endless praise 24-7. And so it's been moments like that on the road or working on church-related stuff through the night that give me this glimpse sort of into eternity. In a way, we're getting a taste of it right now globally as well. As we sit here this morning, I've been literally talking to this pastor in Pakistan over this last week and realizing how crazy it is to be in fellowship with believers from all around the world. Like it's this reminder that as the sun rises and as the sun sets in various places all around the world, there's not one single place in the whole world where God is not praised every moment of every day. Is that not amazing? There's not one single moment. 
And that's particularly true on Sunday where the church is gathering in so many different forms and models all around the world that every minute of every hour of our day, and you get this glimpse of the same thing here in this context of the psalm with what was happening in ancient Israel, right? You had, I think it helps us to see the joy of worship, that it happens 24-7. It's not just in what we're doing this morning and the 30 minutes that we spend in singing songs. And I think it also helps us to see how we can bless one another, even when we're separated from one another through our worship, that we're tied together by something much greater. And I'll give you a little context this morning. In this Psalm 134, this is a Psalm that sort of captures this one single moment. You have other passages in scripture that sort of give you these grand stories and these epic adventures. You look at Noah's Ark, you look at the Exodus, you look at the the return from exile. But here in just a little brief moment in time, it sort of opens up this window to eternity for us. And so we're introduced in these, in these verses, these three passages, to people that we don't often hear about in Scripture. You might think of them as Israel's night crew, sort of. And it's these priests or these Levites who served God in the temple, in the temple all through the night. And in this passage, they're referred to in verse 1 as the servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. They were the watchers, they were the worshipers. And at sundown, the gates of Jerusalem would be locked, the temple would be closed, but this small group of priests would stay inside its courts and in the chambers all through the night. And they would make sure that nothing disturbed the Ark of the Covenant. They would lay things out for the table of showbread, they would tend the wicks on the golden lampstand. And it wasn't like heavy duty labor that they were doing all night long. There wasn't a ton to do, but they did it with such great care and detail because they realized that it was the Lord's work. And most of all, they, 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 were, they were there through the night to worship and to offer up praise all night long, to literally speak their praise, to sing hymns like we find in the Psalms. And then as it got closer to the morning, they would make sure that everything was ready for another day of worship in God's temple. How cool is that? Now, at some point in all of that, when we fall into this passage, we realize that somebody is speaking to them. Someone is addressing this night crew and saying, come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. And then there's a specific instruction given to them that they would lift their hands and bless the Lord. So we know that David didn't pen this specific psalm. So I think it's a fairly obvious question when we ask, like, who is it that's saying this? Who's sending this invitation out? And there's a couple of thoughts that, uh, with regards to this text and who this is. First is that it could have been the high priests. Um, basically the ones that were the supervisors of the priests in the temple. And many scholars and theologians have have thought that. Maybe the high priest comes around and wants to encourage his team in their worship and in their work, and so maybe he's saying this blessing over them as they did the Lord's work. But then there's this other possibility, and I mentioned earlier that this is a song of ascent, as we've talked about the last two weeks. It's one of the 15 psalms one of the 15 songs of ascent running from Psalm 120 
through Psalm 134. An ascent meant going up. It meant rising up. So these psalms were these collection of traveling songs that the Israelites would sing when they were gathering from all around Israel to go work their way up to Jerusalem three times a year for these feasts. They would go to the temple for one of these three yearly feasts. And these were the kinds of songs that they would keep singing, that they were sort of humming. They, they were songs that they knew by heart because they would sing them at the same time every single year. And so Psalm 134, interestingly, and I think significantly, is the last song of their playlist of sorts. And so may, maybe this is the song that they sang when they went from their village or wherever they came from, that they climbed through the mountains and eventually arrived to Jerusalem, and they just wanted to celebrate the fact that they had arrived, that they were at the temple, that they were, start, that they were starting to worship. But I think what's more likely here is that this song that they're singing, 134, Psalm 134, they were actually singing at the departure from Jerusalem. It was sort of a farewell blessing after they get done with their week of worship. And typically, they, they would have begun this journey early in the morning because many of them had a long trip home, leaving Jerusalem to go back to their homes. And so I want you to think about this for a second. Maybe you can imagine how sad they were when they were leaving Jerusalem. They'd been there for worship. They'd been there with their family, with their extended community from their village. They bumped into a ton of old friends. Understand that they had been there in one place as a whole nation to worship God for these three times a year at these festivals. Everybody, it's like a massive family reunion. But this wasn't like any of our family reunions, right? How many of you guys love family reunions? Uncle Jack. Um, they literally traveled to the one place that God had set apart for worship. They traveled to this temple. And, and this place where, where God had promised to send his presence, like Mount Zion, upon this mountain in Jerusalem, and these three times a year were these high points of the year. Like for us, I want you to think about Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter as being kind of these three times a year in our society that are kind of these high points throughout our year, but theirs had much more depth, right? It was one of those mountaintop experiences for them as they come to worship and partake with one another. And there was something sad for them about leaving this time of worship, leaving the city, leaving the gathering, the community of people. Some of us remember a year and a half ago, maybe some of you even more recent than that, when we were separated from each other in our homes. Anybody remember that, like a year and a half ago, a little thing called the stay-at-home order? Um, Maybe some of us could relate to this a little bit as of a year and a half ago. We couldn't gather together in large groups for worship. We, we couldn't go get a hug. Like, handshaking was considered kind of strange. We weren't permitted to be together in larger groups for worship. We didn't even have, again, that person to hug or, or, or to shake a hand or intimate fellowship with the gathered church. And very quickly throughout that season, it became something that we really missed. Being together with God's people, worshiping with God's people, like something that we were excited to get back to. And so the longer that it went on, the deeper the desire we had to be with our people. And the people of Israel in biblical times were into that kind of an annual rhythm, and they knew how sad it was to leave this spiritual high, this, this point in the year that they looked forward to, 
to be separated from their community, to go back to their homes and go back to their everyday lives. And so it's not surprising that before they leave Jerusalem, they have one last blessing, one last greeting that they want to give one another. And so there was a, a song that they wanted to sing for one another. And I love how Charles Spurgeon paints this scene as he preached on this passage to his church. He said this, the pilgrims are going home, singing the last song in the Psalter. They leave early in the morning before the day has begun because the journey is long. While night lingers, they are on the move. Outside the gates, they see the guards on the temple walls and the lamps shining from the windows of the chambers that surround the sanctuary. Moved by the sight, they chant a farewell to the perpetual attendance of the holy shrine. Their parting exhortation arouses the priests to bless them. This blessing is contained in the third verse. The priests, in essence, say, you have wanted us to bless the Lord, and now we pray the Lord to bless you. And this sort of captures this scene for us that's described in Psalm 134. So you can imagine the the Israelites passing the temple and then encouraging the priests to praise the Lord as they begin their journey home. And it made me wonder what I would do, what, what maybe you would do if we could go back to the last Sunday before we were encouraged to shelter in place. Like, I can remember that Sunday. We actually met in this room, a small group of us, in a circle in the middle of this gym and began to pray for God's leading in the weeks to come because we had no idea what was gonna happen. But what I realized through that season, and I think what's coming ahead, is that there are seasons in our life when we just take worship for granted. It's something that's always there, something that I can always partake in, so I'll just pick and choose when I wanna do it because it will always be there. And then when the opportunity to gather with his church and worship Jesus is removed from us, you begin to realize how sweet those moments are and how few and far between they actually are in our life. But if we had known then what we know now, how might we have responded differently? How might you have greeted your closest friends in church on that last Sunday, in our gatherings on Sundays? What, what words of like affection or support would you have shared with somebody or will you share with somebody? And so this context of this psalm really matters and maybe we realize now that we missed an opportunity to express more fully our heart of affection or blessing to one another in Jesus' name. And the people of Israel in the Old Testament times Use this song for exactly that purpose, to to give that kind of a blessing to one another. They wanted to hold on to the worship experience that they were having as it was slipping away because they were leaving Jerusalem. And I was trying to think of analogies to this, like times in your life when you've anticipated a trip or, or some sort of an event of significance in your life, and as you're wrapping up that event and it's getting to the very end and the final moments, you're not in a hurry to rush out. You just want to hold on to that moment for just one more minute. You don't want it to escape you. I think Psalm 134 captures that kind of a moment for us, and it does this because I think God's intention is that it give us a glimpse or a foretaste into eternity. So so that's the context of this passage. There's this call to worship, and in verse one, I think, uh, was for the priests. It was for their nighttime worship, but it's a big enough invitation that I think it translates to all of us. Come, bless the Lord, you servants of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. That is an 
temptation for every one of us in this room. We are servants of the most high God through faith in Jesus Christ and his saving work that only he could do for us. So what does the psalmist mean when he says, bless the Lord? Because we throw this word around a ton. We can't make the Lord any more blessed than he already is, right? God's like totally blessed in his fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But we can give to him and we can ascribe to him the blessing that's actually due his name. We we can declare God's majesty and that's what it means for us to bless the Lord, that we can testify that he is the great God that he is, that, 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 that that's all part of what it means to bless the Lord. It's an invitation and a command all throughout scripture, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all is within me. Bless his holy name. Like, do we live like that? Do we live to bless the Lord? And and this is part of what, what we're to be busy about as people made in the image of God, redeemed by the work of Jesus. We're a people who give blessing to our God. Our lives radiate a blessing of the Lord. And this verse gives us a few hints about how we do that. So first, there's an invitation or a command in this passage. He says to lift our hands. And this is one way for us to lift our prayers to God, to lift our hands. We can extend our hands and offer him our prayers. We can offer him our praise. It was interesting in sermon group this week because I asked everybody around the table, like, at nighttime when nobody's watching and you're, it's just you and Jesus and you're worshiping, do you ever lift your hands? Like, I was just curious. Because we do it a lot when we're here on Sunday mornings, right? Everybody's around, the music's bumping, like we lift our hands. But do we do it when we're alone? When there's nobody else that's going to benefit, we're not going to benefit or get recognition for anything we do. Do we worship him in silence, in, in solitude, like by ourselves? Another way that we can put this verse into practice is to worship God in the nighttime. And that was the opportunity that these Levites, these priests had. If you go back to Deuteronomy, to the law of Moses, it's really explicit that that the Levites were to stand in God's presence, both by day and by night. And I'm not sure if you've ever had opportunities to worship God in the nighttime. Like honestly, for me, I find myself up late at night a lot and not able to sleep. Thoughts racing through my head, and especially with all the cultural issues of our day swirling around in my head, and I'm realizing that those are opportunities to turn those anxious thoughts of mine, those worries of mine, into prayer. They're opportunities for me to surrender those things to the Lord and take them to him to worship his holy name. And as I think about the people or the circumstances that I'm concerned about in my life, I'm learning to just bring them before the Lord. He's, he, he, here is every encouragement you could ever want to worship God in the nighttime hours. Everything that's spinning in your heads is everything you need to worship God in the nighttime hours. According to the Chronicles, to Chronicles, the Levites in the Old Testament were to stand every morning thanking and praising the Lord. 
and likewise at evening, all day and all night. This is our opportunity to worship the Lord. And it's good to open our Bibles in the evening even. It's a good practice in the morning as well. It's good, what a cool opportunity to have the bookends of our days where we open the Word in the morning and we open it late at night and we sort of get to cap our day with the Word of God. What does it look like for you to actually find pockets of worship, not just Sunday morning when we come to sing songs, but every single day there are opportunities in your life for you to worship the living God. And you know, if you you look at some of the really faithful, like admirable, heroic fathers and mothers that we have in the faith, many times you get these glimpses of them worshiping God until the night. You look at Anna, who was waiting for the Messiah at the temple in Jerusalem. I think she was in her 80s. She was there in the nighttime hours, worshiping the Lord. Think of Paul and Silas in prison. They thought it was a really good idea to praise the Lord and sing all through the night. And then there's this earthquake in the middle of the night, and the jailer and his family were saved. And it's this amazing story, but it really began with praise in the nighttime because it caught somebody else's attention and made somebody wonder what it was that these men were all about. And so you see the same thing with Jesus in Luke 6, 12, like one example of Jesus spending the whole night in prayer. And I think these words from Charles Spurgeon make sense. He says, when night settles down on a church, the Lord has his watchers and holy ones still guarding his truth. And these must not be discouraged, but must bless the Lord even when the darkest hours draw on. And I think Spurgeon was both literal there and sort of figured it. In the context of Psalm 134, um, sometimes, the, 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 sometimes the times are dark, and we find ourselves in some pretty heavy and dark times right now. Like, we are the holy ones, the set-apart ones. What are we doing in the darkest hours in history? What are we doing? The set-apart ones. They're watching and they're praying. Like that's part of our privilege, our honor, and our role is in the heaviest times in our world's history that we draw near to the Lord and we bless his holy name. I I would love to think that, that for Anthem that there are literally watchers and there's prayers here. People who are taking the needs of this church and the big C church and the wider world before the Lord. There's so many things to pray about in this season. Like in dark times, it's our calling to actually lift these burdens and concerns before the Lord, and we're literally standing in a long heritage of godly men and women who have done that before us. We're the ones to stand and to watch and to pray. And I also love the idea that there could be a word of praise at the end of the day. Like, what an amazing way to end your day with some word of thanks or word of praise as you lay your head on your pillow at the end of the day to give some expression of gratitude to God for the gift of the day that he granted you. And then another practical application of this verse. It says, standing by night in the house of the Lord and blessing the Lord. To be honest, There's an invitation here to even pray for pastors and our spiritual leaders, our missionaries. Part of the context here, the the person penning the psalm is literally encouraging the the priests and the Levites to continue to bless the Lord. 
It's like this prayer of encouragement, and that extends to the rest of us as well. As they're leaving their community, the temple, the city of Jerusalem, they're praying for God's blessing on their leaders, and I think it's an amazing reminder for us. Pray for our elders. Pray for our staff. Pray for our stewards, our community group leaders, our missionaries. Know that we're living in times where there are more temptations and challenges than ever before. I'm watching more friends of mine that are pastors fall in this last year and run out of ministry because of discouragement and just the weight of the times we're living in and temptations that they've given into than ever before in my life. We need to pray. And I believe that God is moving like no other time before in history and that comes with massive challenges for those who will actually stand for Jesus in these days. I referred earlier a pastor in Pakistan who reached out to me this last week. And he said, Pastor, would you, would you come speak to 600 pastors in Pakistan? We need to be encouraged by you. I said, you don't know who I am. <laughs> He's like, you're a godly man. I, I've looked at all your stuff online. You're a godly man. We need you to come and encourage the pastors here. I said, I don't think given the circumstances globally that that's the best idea. He said, we can do it virtually. <laughs> We need your encouragement. And my heart breaks for what they're experiencing because I know nothing of the battle that they find them and their families in right now as we're gathered here this morning to sing joyous songs to Jesus and study his word. I know nothing about what they're going through, but things are gonna ramp up. And the church needs to be praying for one another, praying for those that are actually helping to lead even in Jesus' church. 600 pastors in Pakistan. That's insane. But this, there's this word servant that comes up in this passage. And once we get into the New Testament, it's interesting because this word isn't just referring to a priest or a Levite. Once we get into the New Testament, it's referring to a minister. It's referring to you, the priests of our time, the ones who stand and watch at night that pray and bless the name of the Lord. It's you and I, and it extends to us because we are all servants of the Lord. There's a guy named Jeremy Taylor who's one of the Church of England's like, most outstanding preachers in the 17th century, and he had been reading Psalm 134, and as he read it, was led to bless other people in ministry, and he said this. He said, O Lord, creator and governor of the world, you that made heaven and earth, that all should celebrate your praise and the glory of your name, give devout affections to your ministers that by frequent elevation of their hands and hearts in your sanctuary, on their behalf and on behalf of your people, your honor may be exalted among all your servants. The gospel may be advanced, the love of your name increased, your blessings may descend upon us to supply everything we need through Christ our Lord. And so when we pray for God to bless people, blessing that comes through even the people we're praying for a blessing on blesses us. Like it blesses the wider community of faith. It actually advances the gospel of Jesus. It reaches the world. And all of these things can happen when we're really in prayer for the ministry of the gospel. So let's be in prayer for one another. And it's also reciprocal. And that's what we see in the last verse here in Psalm 134, verse three. One of the things that the priests loved to do in the Old Testament 
It was to bless the people of God. And so if you think of what the word says in number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. That, that's this ancient priestly blessing that the Levites loved to give the people of God. But it wasn't the only blessing that they knew. There, there were actually some other benedictions that they were familiar with. And I think that this passage in Psalm 134 is one of them. It's the particular blessing that they would give as people were leaving Jerusalem, going back to their homes. And eventually they would be able to come back to Jerusalem, back to the temple. Eventually they'd come back and worship again with the collective. But this was a blessing that was going to have to stay with them for a little while until they actually came back together again. And so here's this blessing given to people who need to separate from a place of worship for a season before coming back again to worship the Lord together. It's really interesting. And, and I think it's a particularly appropriate blessing to be given to these people of God. And it's a blessing that I think God himself is giving you and I through this passage this morning. So if you're looking for some encouragement or, or you're looking for a sense of hope in the future, Here's a specific blessing that God wants to give you today. That you may find yourself at the most lonely point you've ever been at in your life. You may feel as though you can't figure out where God is in your circumstances or where he is in the greater world and things are just getting more and more chaotic but the spirit is with you and God's literally blessing you. And this morning as you're gathered both in person and even we have some people online this morning, with our church family, here's a blessing from the living God that I want you to hear. It says this, the Lord bless you from Zion. And there's a couple of things that are significant about this lesson, and I'm gonna wrap up on this. One of them is simply that it comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so, as I said earlier, it's reciprocated, right? In verse one and two, the people bless their priests. In verse three, the, the priests bless the people, but it's sort of like asymmetrical, right? Because in the first blessing, there's this invitation to bless the Lord, but now it's the God who made heaven and earth. He's the one that's giving the blessing to us. So whatever blessing you think you're giving to pastors or spiritual leaders as you pray for them, here's the blessing that God has in return for you. And it's so much greater because it's the creator God, the, the God who made heaven and earth. That, that's the God who made everything that there is simply speaking his word. The God who literally spun galaxies into space. The God who has infinite understanding even of what's happening with viruses right now. And at the molecular level, I mean, the, the God who understands everything about creation, the way he made the world, and also the way that because of sin, the world has become damaged and distorted. God knows all of that, and guess what this morning? It is all in his hands. And he's the God who has the power to bless you beyond any blessing that you could ever possibly imagine. So one of the things I love about this blessing is the power of this blessing, the strength of it. It's a blessing from the creator God, the, he the creator of heaven and earth. And I think it's also really significant with regards to where God blesses us from. Where does it say? Where does he bless us from? Zion. Blesses us from Zion. Zion is the city of our God. 
Zion originally was this fortress in Jerusalem that, that David had to capture when he made that city his own and he claimed it for his kingdom. Zion is the city where Solomon built his famous temple. And at that point, Zion became the one place in the world where God had promised to come with the blessing of his presence. And if you wanted to go and you wanted to meet with God, you did it at Mount Zion. Because that's where the temple was. That's why they were coming together three times a year to literally meet with God. It was their opportunity, and they traveled all distances, whatever they had to, singing these songs of ascent along the way to come worship God, to come partake in his presence. And so for us, church, Zion has this way bigger significance for you and I. And I hope you get this. this as you read through the scriptures, Zion becomes not just this literal hill in Jerusalem, it becomes a metaphor, like a picture of God's heavenly city. It becomes this picture of his eternal city. You see it in the book of Hebrews. People are gathered for worship, and the author of Hebrews says this, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Like, that's what you're coming to and you worship to as a believer in Jesus Christ. The angels are literally gathering around the throne of God. Mount Zion is this heavenly place, and so now, what does it mean that God would bless us from this place? It means that we not only have the blessing of our creator, but the blessings of the God who holds eternity in his hands. Like he's literally blessing us from heaven. Is that not crazy? Like that's the power of this verse. He's blessing you from an eternal place. He's blessing you as the God who offers this free gift of eternal life. And that's one of the reasons why I think this psalm opens up this whole window into eternity. It's because as individual Christians, there's no way that we can worship God all of the time. For some of us, it's hard to even concentrate for a couple minutes in prayer, right? For some of you, like sitting through my sermons is excruciating enough. You're like ready to go. But a time is coming when we're delivered from all these earthly distractions. And listen to this. None of these distractions will exist at a place in time, in eternity, where we're so caught up in the worship of God that we worship him without ceasing. And so the ultimate promise of one third, Psalm 134 is that for those who have put their trust in Jesus, you have this promise of his word that we will one day serve him day and night in his temple. Is that not awesome? I've been a part of a couple funerals in the last couple weeks, and you contemplate eternity a lot when you're standing before people that have passed away, thinking like, where are they? Like, what's going on? Are they literally in that place, like, worshiping night and day? unceasingly forever like what an amazing place and ask the worship team to come up the blessing of the beginning of the psalm is for those who have gone before us and they're blessing the Lord and they're standing day and night singing his praise and then you've got this blessing from the end of Psalm 134, which is for those of us who are still in the storm and waiting for deliverance, right? And he says, the Lord bless you from Zion. He who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. 
Amen? Would you guys stand with me? We're going to have time to sing some songs and to worship here for a few minutes. But while we're doing that, um, one of the things that our elders talked about the other night is, like, it's always been our heart to be a praying church. And there's just seasons where you go, what does that look like? I don't want to touch people's arms and pray. But the reality is, and I know many of you in this room, that there are things going on in your life that you desperately need prayer for. And I think a praying church doesn't hide from the things that they need prayer for, but actually brings them to the body and says, would you please lift me up? And as we close in this time of worship this morning, some of our elders will be up front, our staff's around. You can even grab your friend next to you, whoever it is. But I'd encourage you, if there's something that you need prayer for this morning, this is an awesome opportunity to do it. We're not promised next week. We're not promised tomorrow. Take advantage of the opportunities that he's given you. And as we sing these songs this morning, there's two things I want you to be reminded of. is that you have this opportunity to bless his holy name. But in the process, you're also being blessed from Zion. And take that to heart. Because, man, if there's one thing this world needs right now, it's to be blessed from Zion. When there's people that are just do not know which way's up or what's going on. And that's why we constantly say to our church, like, don't get caught up in all the junk of this day and all the cultural battles that are swirling around you because there is a bigger picture at play. God is moving on this earth like none other before. And I guarantee you the first thing on the minds of those 600 Pakistani pastors are not the things that are on our mind right now. They want people to come to know Jesus because they're not promised tomorrow. And I pray that that urgency would reside within you and I as we bless his name and as he in turn blesses us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your church. I thank you for these people. I pray, God, that you do a work in their hearts that only you can do. We give you this time in your word and we pray God that it would accomplish what you set forth for it to do that it would do the hard work within us of sifting through all of our junk and our deepest fears and failures and heartaches and um, unforgiveness and resentment and the things that build up in us that cause walls between us and you I pray this morning Jesus that we be at peace with you at rest with you that we surrender these things to you and we bless your holy name in Jesus name we pray amen if you need prayer this morning, come find one of us up front. We'd love and be privileged and honored to pray with you this morning.